Hi, Dana. Hey, Kaylee. How's it going? It's it's going. It's officially going. This podcast <laughs> We're officially going. <laughs> that we have been talking about for a while. Uh, so I guess I'll sort of introduce it. Um, we came up with this idea. I don't even know when. Like it was definitely over a like, year ago. It was probably like several years ago. Yeah. Just because. I feel like it was just like we would just have these conversations and be like mind blown by the synchronicity of them, mm-hmm. um, the mind melding. So uh, I feel like that's how it came up in conversation before. And then last summer when I was visiting, we took shrooms the best way possible that you came up with, which was by putting them onto a s'more yes. <laughs> that we made in the kitchen. Still my best um, shroom delicacy. That that was amazing because it, it just <laughs> it just like works so well. It, it masks the texture and the flavor mm-hmm. and it just tastes like you're eating a s'more for the most part, which who doesn't want to just like have a have a re- excuse to Eat a to s'more. Have a, to eat a s'more, right. yeah. So, right. <laughs> <laughs> so that was great, and I'm probably going to do that, like, every time now. <laughs> right. Uh, if I'm not doing the tea version. Because um, I feel like that has a different effect. Would you agree? Like, Yeah, yeah. We... I think the times that we have done tea before together is much more of, like, a gentle... Um, I mean, it also, I think I've always had a lower dose when I've been having tea, um, yeah, it just feels like more of a, um, like a very intense marijuana high. Yeah. Sort of. I mean, I think it go- gets, like, you probably need a bigger dose, maybe. Right. Um, but, yeah, I think that it it's, um, it's definitely, like, more just kind of mild or yes yeah it's i guess when i say intense i just mean like um amplified i don't mean intense like um because i think just like eating shrooms you can get a lot of those like physical characteristics like physical effects and um yeah there's just a lot more like sensory stuff with it whereas like for me, having a tea is a lot more like I get like a sense of euphoria and like visuals usually, but yeah. very mild visuals. Mm-hmm. I usually I usually get visuals, um, but they're they're like not as intense as when I first started doing mm-hmm. psychedelics. I've noticed I have to take a larger dose for them to really be right. more intense, intense, which is interesting. It's almost like the first time I took psychedelics, it was super visual because that was kind of what I expected. So that was like what my brain right. did. Yeah. Um, that was what I'm I was like, like almost, excited about. <laughs> yeah. I almost never get visuals, which is funny. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have before, but it's not like a thing I expect from a trip, no matter what kind of substance I'm taking. Which is interesting because we're both pretty visual mm-hmm. people. Yeah. So. And because I like... I would say even before I started taking psychedelics, but even, like, especially since then, I can definitely kind of um, conjure visuals, you know, like, without being on any kind of drugs. I can sort of, like, kind of like how you would cross your eyes to see, like, a picture that's supposed to be 3D. I feel like I can kind of conjure visuals in certain patterns. So it's kind of funny that, like, I don't get that um 
as a regular effect. Yeah. There's some there's something interesting I've noticed is like uh I like to listen to apps with like binaural beats mm-hmm. and it's so easy for me to just slip into that kind of psychedelia mm-hmm. visual experience just by doing that now yeah. that I you know kind of have a reference point you haven't gotten um, a chance to listen to Afro's album yet have you my friend Afro? no I I'm like saving it for you know when it when it's when cool. it's time I guess <laughs> you know some like real witchcraft with that like like I don't even think it's on <laughs> but she has some parts that are like very binaural beat like you know like they're designed to put you in that headspace well yeah i'm i'm definitely like gonna listen to it soon i'm yeah. like really just waiting for the right moment to totally. strike but if you want to plug that really quickly what's it what's yes. it called so um my friend afra um her stage name is selkie girl she has been working on this incredible album um that is mostly about magic but it's also kind of like a place where she explores her personal journey through the magic with a K, right? Yes, like magic with a K. And um, her like her main frame of study is Kabbalah. So each song is like working its way up the Kabbalistic tree of life, um, which we can talk more about Kabbalah at a different time. But if you're already familiar with it, um, you'll know that like each stage kind of has its own personality. And so she like uses each song as its own exploration um and she's a queer person and like also is exploring the place where like kabbalah and queerness kind of meet and sometimes tangle in the middle so mm-hmm. a really wonderful album um her stage name is selkie girl you can find her on spotify and the album is called kabbalista with a q that's awesome. I'm yeah. really excited to to listen to that because I, I mean, I've been, I've something that was really bothering me um, since you know all of this quarantine, stay at home pandemic stuff started. Well, and even before that, a bit it's just that I have been feeling really out of touch with spiritual elements in my life and uh, just that headspace and that mindset, which. You know, it's just a bummer right. <laughs> when you're not feeling, uh, you know, very spiritually motivated mm-hmm. or disciplined. Right. Um, and I, I have been, you know, trying to narrow down the media that I'm consuming so that it's more inspiring to that aspect of my being or something. Totally. So that I can kind of climb back into that. Speaking of which... This is called Climb, in, Climb Into Our Treehouse, uh, which I guess to go back to what we were talking about before when we did the, sh- when we did the, the s'mores shrooms. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah talk, was- talk a little bit about like the title. So, so this show is called Welcome to Our Treehouse and like, let's talk about like what the treehouse is. Do you want to start? Yeah, so... So the tree, the treehouse. I mean, it it started kind of with a question that you asked me because you were like asking me, you know, what do you do to sort of welcome someone into your space, uh, like when, like when it comes to this sort of esoteric stuff sometimes, or the or this 
you know, very intangible. Mm-hmm. Like the uh, space, I think. Yeah, the like the the other sort of stuff. Um and I don't I don't know exactly how I answered that at the time, but you know, um I think part of it is just first establishing your own space, um, whether that's, you know, physical or your presence. Uh, and, you know, like, like kind of just making your apartment like a cozy place to hang out, for instance, or having certain go-to activities that you'll do with people to invite them uh, to explore certain topics or concepts or you know whatever Mm -hmm. so that you can connect uh have a kind of spiritual communion Mm -hmm. experience um so so yeah i guess that's that's what the idea of the treehouse is Mm -hmm. but the question i have for you is how would you describe your own metaphorical metaphysical treehouse that you invite people to to climb into sometimes. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, the idea of a treehouse in general for me is this concept that everyone has like an imagination space that they go to. And that's essential, I think, for humanity. Um, like, obviously, some people are more prone to explore that part of themselves. But um, for everyone, for for human existence, like it's important to have a safe, imaginative place that we can go and explore not just our own self and our own psyche, but also like other ideas that we've come across. Like, I think for me, this is like the space that science fiction and fantasy um, are born in. You know, if you are a writer, this is where. Um, you know, this is where you go to like cook up your ideas and play in your like world and in your sandbox. And even like, if, you know, thinking about games that are popular now, like Minecraft, like to, mm-hmm. that's almost like, like any sandbox um, game or environment is, um, is a treehouse in its own way. I think a treehouse is yeah. your mental sandbox. Um, so my treehouse is definitely a place with a lot of color in it um you know I think that I think of myself as someone who revels in sensory things especially like we were talking about earlier especially like visually sensory things um I like color and sound um but my treehouse is very like um like I used that word I think when we were first talking about this in kind of a literal way. Like I've always Mm -hmm. my psyche, like my safe space to be like literally in the middle of a forest. Um, Yeah, very, very like hermit. Yeah, for sure. I've always been like very anchored in nature. Um, Like the treehouse is almost like the hermit's dwelling Yeah, totally. And I think like most, um, most, works of literature especially like coming of age or like YA literature I think Mm -hmm. is that theme somewhere in it where like okay for example Stranger Things um Will Byers like has 
Castle Byers that he goes to. And um, if you finish that series, um, I won't spoil it because it's a great series. You should watch <laughs> it all on your own. But Castle Byers like plays an important part um, in the development of those characters. Like when we start, oh, they're 13 or 14. And then by the end, they're like older teenagers. They're going into high school. And so Castle Byers is this kind of like tangible um, metaphor that we can look at for like how those characters evolve over time. So um, yeah, that's kind of like an example of what, like th that sums up, I think, how I think of the treehouse. Yeah, and also like, I think it also kind of covers what it sort of means to welcome someone into it because especially like if you use those characters or that, you know, as an example, like in Stranger Things, it's like you definitely get the idea when watching that show that these characters would like do anything for each other totally. um, because they have this like understanding mm -hmm. because they've like yeah, it's a show about friendship in a lot of space. Yeah. So I, I think that also kind of covers what what we're what we're trying to do maybe by recording this and making this podcast mm -hmm. like allowing um allowing this to exist as a as a place that you know others can come into right now uh listeners you know whether that's people we know or people we don't know mm -hmm. um as a way to especially just feel connected right now during during this time of uh isolating and that kind of thing mm -hmm. and you know something i've also been thinking about is you know how there's always that uh there's a pretty prevalent narrative and uh when it comes to how a masterpiece or a magnum opus for instance mm -hmm. is born and that's usually done in some sort of treehouse per se mm -hmm. like you know to, to get away Right, like, like you know, how uh, My Bloody Valentine, I think, like, to record Loveless, which is, like, their most famous album, uh, I'm pretty sure they were, like, they've described it as, like, they basically just, like, you know, were just in the studio for mm -hmm. days on end, right. you know, almost getting kind of, like, delirious or something. And that's not just them. Like, lots of really amazing albums and stuff have come from you know, a band or an artist, like, coming into yeah. just this one studio space, this creative space, and then um, just, you know, kind of almost, like, locking themselves into that. It's, like, the being confined part of it is what makes the mm -hmm. creativity run wild. Right. Yeah, I think. Uh, like, how, Go ahead. how Young, Young created the Red Book by basically just, like, locking himself in his study. Mm -hmm for a while and letting his imagination run wild and uh, that was another question I actually wanted to ask you that I forgot to even write down yeah, go ahead. Uh, but um, this idea of chasing the dragon was something I kind of wanted to touch on and to ask you about because that is a phrase you haven't used yet but I know you will yeah, use I definitely <laughs> when will. we're talking about we things. have both yeah it's a phrase I've used pre-recording but I will certainly talk yeah. about it later awesome you should definitely you, talk about you that. Want okay, to, you want me to answer that question now? Because we can. Uh, yeah. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, chasing the dragon. So I have no idea where this phrase originated, but I'm certainly not the first to use it. 
Um, just the idea that I think probably many people who are tuning into this sort of podcast are familiar with the image of an Ouroboros or the snake that eats its own tail. Um, and that's certainly a theme that I think a lot of like psychonauts land on eventually. Um, that when you are trying to explore the psyche or, um, oh, so the term psychonaut, if that's new to you, just the idea of someone who, um, explores the psyche, uh, especially in a way that is, um, willing to be untethered from reality. I think in like, just how you were saying that Jung locked himself in his study to complete the red book, like any kind of intensive retreat like that, spending, um, spending extended time in a tree house, so to speak, I think, um, does disconnect you from reality and can disconnect you from other people. And that's not always a bad thing, right? Like, that's how we got Jung's Red Book. That's how we get a lot of amazing works of music, other works of art. Um, but, like, I think there can be a fine line there. Like, when are you creating something that is... Um, when are you creating something that is truly worthwhile to humanity and when are you um sort of just deep diving because it's like enjoyable to you and that doesn't necessarily even have to be a bad thing right like i think we're all allowed to indulge in our interests whether your interests are to go into the psyche and explore that stuff or whether your interest is like um like cliff diving or um you know something that is in the physical like if your interest is like extreme sports you know like both of those things have some level of like danger associated with them whether it's like extreme sports you can physically hurt yourself or like being someone who is like extremely introspective to the point of being disconnected from society like can still be harmful if you're like ignoring your bodily needs or the, or like people around you who like, if you have a family and you're not being attentive to them, you know what I mean? Like, I think that there are dangers in both ways. So um, yeah, chasing the dragon is just for me, like a way to refocus a thought that I'm having to be more cognizant that like, to be more cognizant about the fact that like there can be, there has to be a balance. Um, yeah. Well, what's so so what's interesting about this Dana is that I googled that just to be like does anyone else actually use this phrase? And there's a Wikipedia oh, page great. for it and it's this is really odd though because it's uh it kind of makes sense and it, but it's kind mm. of unexpected. It it apparently uh is slang uh originating from Hong Kong, referring to inhaling the vapor from a heated solution of morphine or heroin oh, yeah. or basically okay, so opiates. I did know that, and I and, forgot it until you said it just now. Yeah, and it's uh, it's interesting because that, that method 
it says it significantly de- decreases or eliminates certain risks of heroin oh, use because you're not like needle sharing yeah. and stuff like that. So it's all that kind of reminds me of like you know like psychedelics for instance. Like it's it's kind of like you're uh, you know just sort of uh, inhaling or like taking not literally inhaling but just taking a breath of you know this uh, this this. I don't know this this substance this thing that kind of triggers you to it's like taking a dose of god mm-hmm. or whatever you know it's like uh you're not getting the whole experience by just doing a psychedelic like it really like d- just doing a psychedelic just triggers uh the the psychedelia mm-hmm. in your psyche but it's already mm-hmm. there you know and of course like you know uh like holy people in india or whatever like in that mindset all the time and don't need to ingest a single drug and mm-hmm. you know they could take large amounts of lsd or whatever and it wouldn't really change their behavior mm-hmm. <laughs> at all because uh they're already in that headspace so it's just kind of interesting that that definition of chasing dragon kind of does correlate a little bit like you're not you're not like on the full ride of it mm-hmm. or whatever. Yeah, that's so um, interesting. I didn't realize it was like a specific method of using what did you say, heroin? Yeah, it's like it's like it's like uh opiates in general. Um often refers to heroin, which is, you know, a toxic substance mm-hmm. in in uh but but like it's saying that this method of doing it or whatever is actually mm-hmm. safer than other ones yeah. so it's it's almost like you know you're inhaling the vapor yeah. and it's uh it's a way of like uh being able to trigger this state without without going all the way yeah. in head first right yeah. right and i think that's like what like i think that chasing the dragon doesn't always have a connotation of like something that ends in misfortune like i think it also be mm-hmm. you know like it can just be a term for like um, something that is that is exciting. I don't know. I would have to think a little bit more about exactly how I want to say. Yeah, like when you learn about something new and you're like, right? I'm yeah. With this now. Um, I also like want to just take take this moment to say that obviously, um, Kaylee and I love psychedelics, um, and in a lot of ways, it's a psychedelics are a reason that we are so interested in all of this stuff um you know they're a they're a jumping off point for this podcast but like i in no way feel that you need to do drugs of any kind to be interested in this kind of stuff and actually you definitely don't that's why that's why you know said that thing about how psychedelia totally. is something that exists right. in our brain yeah. and, and but, but you don't you can absolutely reach that point without having any ingestion so yeah i think i just want to take this moment to say that like neither of us endorse drug use especially especially heroin heroin. (laughs) yeah like neither of us endorse drug use um explicitly like if you have a safe way to chase the dragon like um obviously like we're not going to discourage you from doing that but um i actually like it was a very i was a very late comer to psychedelics and i had been interested in um in 
all this kind of stuff that we're talking about long before I did any kind of substance like that. Right. And, and I mean, they're definitely some of the most psychedelic people I've ever met are just people who have never even right. done any drugs. Yeah, it's a mindset. So, uh, and actually, let's, I'll, I'll just pose this to you as a question because I know it's something we've talked about in the past. Um, will you talk a little bit about, like, psychedelia as a mindset? Yeah, so that's actually, that's something that I have been interested in recently um, is... How can I enter that mindset without relying on substances in order to do that? Um, you know, at least not intense substances like LSD or um, shrooms mm-hmm. or whatever it is. Uh, but yeah, I mean, like meditation is the number one you'll hear all the time. And I mean, that that trip that that sparked the the kind of title for this podcast that we were talking about last summer you know that part of why that was so awesome is because we meditated during it we didn't even take a big dose or anything when we when we ate the the s'mores but um we did that that meditation for hours and i can do that meditation you know with nothing in my system not even caffeine and i come out of it you know, feeling just uh, exhilarated and like a lot of tension has left my body and, you know, it just sort of uh, kind of puts me into a better mindset afterwards and also during, it's like I work through a lot of things that I might be forced to work through if I were to take a psychedelic, for instance. Um, But with meditation it's it's definitely a a gentler way at first to uh start exploring those things that you might you know have no choice to explore (laughs) but to explore uh when you do something like a psychedelic so meditation is definitely number one and you know just being present in general is probably number two like life is so psychedelic but there are also um experiences like we were talking the other day about when you know when you are uh you know with someone who's dying for instance like that's a very psychedelic headspace because it's sort of you know at the foot of the veil and uh there's there's an openness uh to that experience that is you know, kind of what we're referring to when we talk about psychedelia, for instance, an openness to uh, something, you know, beyond our beyond our physical realm, our physical bodies, and you know, life, big big life experiences that are sort of unprecedented. We'll do that too. So, like for instance, I think with this pan- pandemic, a lot of people who are alive right now have never seen anything like this before have never experienced anything like this before so i think we're also in a weirdly psychedelic time Mm -hmm. globally because we're being kind of pushed to you know realize that we we don't have much control over uh a lot of physical aspects of our Mm-hmm. our daily lives mm-hmm. and 
folks are being so maybe forced to retreat to our internal world to a permit like right existence obviously not everyone but many people are um which i think you know for some people that does mean spending more time in their personal treehouse right so so i said that that's kind of something i'm interested in doing right now is like minimizing substances slowly kind of weaning myself off of whatever it is that could be you know cannabis or caffeine or alcohol blah 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 whatever it is you know just trying to do less of those but become more actually like become more uh present in that psychedelic mm-hmm. headspace is is something i'm interested in exploring right now what are kind of some mystical psychological philosophical <laughs> type <of> philosophical, philosophical. <laughs> i need some more philosophical right now yeah uh what are some what are some topics that you're just currently drawn towards um that are kind of along these lines currently like what's been kind of holding your attention or or interest interesting Mm -hmm. to you lately yeah i've definitely been on a tarot kick for the last few years maybe like three or four years but um kind of like increasing in intensity um I have always been like interested in tarot, but in the last couple years, I've actually been like doing readings, you know, getting familiar enough with the deck that I can read for myself and others. Um, And I've been really trying to do more with a concept that you actually introduced me to, Kaylee, which is narrative alchemy. And I don't know. Yeah, you can say more. I don't really even know that much about, like, the origins or if you uh, learned about it from someone else. But, um, yeah, I guess maybe before I explain more, say say something about what narrative alchemy is. So, something funny about this topic is, uh, so the the person who introduced me to the idea of it is... Our friend Molly, uh, that Dana and I know um, from online, from Facebook or something like that, mm-hmm. Facebook groups, I think. Uh, and uh, Molly is yeah, known as the Firebrand Witch. If you wanna, yeah, if you wanna look up anything by them, they're really insightful, really cool. Uh, and uh, they came out with this awesome so if you want to learn narrative alchemy also they have this whole course you can get at a name your price uh offer right now i think so uh that's really cool uh i would definitely you know recommend that if you do have the money to pay molly for it uh do that because it's it's you know they worked really hard on it uh but uh they do have it at name your own price just in case you need access to uh, some guidance, but you know, are struggling right now. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> please like don't feel bad if you have to do that. Is. Like everyone's um, right. Don't don't feel bad about that. But if you do have uh, you know, some some dollars you could throw her their way, um, I definitely would recommend that because they are a cool person. But basically, narrative alchemy um, is it's funny because like 
like they might have kind of coined that term it's a very Mm -hmm. good term to use for it but it's really funny because I'll listen to like some other podcasts or I'll, I'll be looking up some other things and this idea is present in so many things like you you've talked about uh what is it? Internal oh, yeah. family? Oh my god. So we will we uh, will at, for sure at some point talk more about internal family systems, which is a therapy modality that um, I think comes so close to many other disciplines that we have an interest in that in the past have been kind of relegated to what we're talking about, which is like mystical psychology and like um, mm-hmm. like uh unconscious thought where like IFS is amazing because it like takes those ideas and like has created a framework for a therapist who's working in a more secular environment to be able to like apply those ideas but right but this but this idea has been you know present and used like like Molly didn't come up with it although they did come up with a great course to guide you through it uh going using the major arcana in order to do that Uh, but basically the idea is that you go through different roles and they're not just random you need to choose some kind of system like the tarot or like ifs or something like that and um going through these roles in a certain order so for instance you could use the tarot you could go through the major arcana starting with the fool and ending with the world because it does go in a certain order um to basically you know reflect on these different archetypes uh archetypal images rather um and think about when this role is you know maybe a role you've taken on or what kind of uh, like w- what kind of people in your life or or that you know of or characters you associate with this role? So, like for instance, if you're you know like thinking of uh, the high priestess, then you might uh, just need to uh, figure out what what that what that character or that archetype represents to you and go th- go through all of those and just kind of it's almost like an exorcism because you figure out how these things have affected you and by doing that you can actually you know overcome it a little bit better instead of feeling um trapped mm-hmm. i guess <laughs> in those roles or uh oppressed by people who might occupy mm-hmm. those roles or whatever it is so that's the the gist of it but obviously we'll go more in depth mm-hmm. in it yeah later yeah so that's that's one thing i've that has been like keeping my attention narrative alchemy um and something i love about it too is that you can follow a guide like molly's for instance but you really don't need anything to begin other than a journal um, and hopefully like a reference for whatever like if you're using tarot you should have a pack of tarot cards handy um right i think definitely having some kind of ritual or practice or you know something some kind of thing that you are doing uh in a somewhat routine fashion in the same way um to you know bring Mm -hmm. these things to the forefront right is part of it too so 
part of it's definitely dedicating yourself to to doing and it can be whatever mm-hmm. you can totally make it up you know like i'll just like right do so a like, spread or like lay out the cards or whatever light a or candle or like you don't need a special um background or understanding or classes or whatever like you make up your own journey with it um if like kaylee was talking about you are meditating on the high priestess like you are just thinking about like who is this character to me like what um like what can they offer me what stories yeah or like what do they have to tell so yeah narrative alchemy is great because all it takes is like some time and a pen and paper and um also so like another thing about it is you definitely can create like a temporal um calendar for yourself with it i guess like you can decide when you want to start and end and like some people do narrative alchemy with like the the zodiac signs like maybe they think about Aries and Aries mm-hmm. season or whatever. Yeah, like, and you would definitely want to start with you know, the right. first first mm-hmm. sign and end with the last. So start right. with Aries and end with Pisces if you're using that. But it, it doesn't really matter whatever framework you kind of, like, choose as long as it has a certain mm-hmm. chronological order and kind of tells a story and um, has these archetypal images that are inherently empty that you mm-hmm. can just kind of project onto uh so that's part of it you know that's part of like mm-hmm. what tarot and astrology even are just like these things that we can project uh into and onto in order to reflect and uh pull some some things uh mm-hmm. to the surface mm-hmm. of our conscious awareness um so so yeah uh that's mm-hmm. that's how i would summarize that Dreams are good right. too. Make sure that you keep a dream journal if you. Yeah, that's a great summary, I think. And well. I think narrative, because we both have some experience doing narrative alchemy, I think that's also been a huge inspiration for wanting to do this podcast. Because when you are spending mm-hmm. time meditating with these ideas, like I find that I connect them with other um, disciplines or ideas that are not part of that system, which is which is also the point of them. Like we also want to talk in this podcast a lot about ways that the archetypes intersect with each other. You know, like where do we see certain themes repeated over years and years and years of psychology and um, metapsychology? Right. Right. Because that's the archetype. It's this thing that we have all these things that are trying to point right. at. What We're this just is trying to define something that exists. You know, do that. But, but the, right. But for instance, you know, a tarot card is just mm-hmm. an archetypal image. It's, it's inherently empty. There's nothing like that. That's, you know, when people get really, uh, weirded out by the mystical aspect of tarot, it's kind of funny to me because I'm just kind of like, mm-hmm. these are just, drawings right. that someone did you know like this isn't like there's nothing about this that's uh you know something to be afraid of because all it all it is is a ref- like it just is reflecting mm-hmm. back to you it's just a mirror uh you know so uh that's that's different than like an mm-hmm. actual person for instance uh so it's good to project on something like an archetypal image to to hold up a mirror to yourself and to be able to 
um, make a little more sense of it. But for instance, if you're directly projecting onto other people or something like that, situations in your life or onto yourself, it's definitely uh, not Mm -hmm. as useful. (laughs) That's like part of why why, uh, archetypal images are useful because we can yeah maybe we should take a minute and like talk about what like what exactly an archetype is um it is it's super hard hard. um i think i'll try to take a stab at it and you can interrupt me if i'm saying something that's not yeah go for it please Um, i don't i I I think of an archetype as something oftentimes an archetype is a person or a character who um acts out a situation or personality that humans know to be a repeating pattern so for example if you're familiar with like lord of the rings that's a really classic well-known like fantasy story the different characters in that story kind of represent these different archetypes of people but keyword represent they are not yourself the archetype but they like they present an archetype so an archetype is like bigger than just one character like you could say gandalf is a representation of an archetype but gandalf himself is not the archetype um so so each of those characters represents an archetype but the archetype is not usually just the personality of the character it's also the um the destiny of that character and the phases that it goes through right and you're never going to really have like a a solid hold on an archetype or anything because they're they're Mm -hmm. sort of out of reach in that way but you can create characters that are archetypal Mm -hmm images for instance that kind of reflect right uh, is now kaylee is Jung like the originator of that term or did it exist before him no i I don't think so um like you know you can even think of like like platonic Mm -hmm. forms or whatever as being kind of like an archetype so this idea has been around for a while um i i think that he kind of popularized Mm -hmm. that term um he started by using the term primordial images um to -hmm. kind of explain that phenomenon of like we all have you know as humans we have these uh these things that are like deep in our unconscious that we manifest you know uh images of uh through you know, mm-hmm. philosophy or media or whatever it is uh, that that you know, it's it's like these are these are running patterns that we can mm-hmm. we can find them in like you know, right. Greek plays or we can find it in a television show that came mm-hmm. out last week or something like right. they, they're just these like recurring and that was that's what makes them so powerful roles. I think is that um, you know no matter how many works of art and media are created throughout humanity we continue to see these archetypes or these like certain roles and characters being played out so like i think that's what 
the human fascination is with them and why I find them so interesting is that we, you know, like, again, we can try to create something brand new and yet the human psyche always seems to latch on to these, like, these archetypal um, images and characters and uh, narratives, you know, like it's something that is almost inherent in our right. Yeah, it's like yeah, OG. Right, like it's something that we <laughs> like, like, like crave that, and look just like how a baby, like babies will see faces in anything. And like if you're, we can talk a whole episode about neural networks. Oh no, but, but that's a great that's a great thing to bring up for instance like uh right. like the archetype but I guess of what I'm thinking it's like uh you know that's right, that's exactly. something that we all have even if even if your right. mom died in childbirth you still have the the archetype of the mother and you're going to project right. that onto someone And babies are like life. programmed to see human faces and in fact the, our whole life we're programmed to see faces which is why like um mm-hmm. Like, especially if you're tripping, like, it's it's not uncommon for people to say that they're, like, seeing faces in the trees or something. That's what we're always looking for, is mm-hmm. a human face. And just like we're, we're uh, kind of programmed to find face shapes in things that don't actually have a face, I think we're also programmed to look for these archetypes in our narratives, just as a way of, like anchoring ourselves in some kind of narrative Mm -hmm. right and and we can also like unconsciously do that and so part of part of what Jung was trying to do is actually to make to make that process Mm -hmm. conscious because we're all already doing it anyway and I think faces is a good word or a good idea to bring up Um, I know that Jung says to turn Mm -hmm. a friendly face to the unconscious um, which I actually, I think of in a very literal way sometimes when I'm, when I'm, you know, meditating on that phrase, like, uh, for instance, you can, you can keep running away from your shadow. Like the shadow is like, you know, kind of an example of one of those, uh, archetypes of the psyche or the personality or something. And you can, you can keep like turning away or like being afraid mm-hmm. of it or ignoring it or whatever, but he suggests turning a friendly face towards it. So it's almost like you can imagine your shadow personified and like, what would it look like if instead of ignoring it or dismissing it or being afraid of it, you actually decided to mm-hmm. turn mm-hmm. towards it with a smile, you know? Right turn towards your shadow whatever that person looks like will you say more about so obviously we're talking about Carl Jung the early psychologist yeah yeah that's probably something (laughs) we should you just like uh (laughs) take this time now and talk about like who Carl Jung is but also your like your personal um relationship with his work and how you like how you maybe discovered him or like what your journey has been as you're like reading about his uh his work his body of work for sure so i haven't read as much young as some people have because i'm pretty bad at reading um (laughs) but i'm working on it uh but uh i mean i did actually read you know uh a 
quite a bit of like psychological types and some of his other works when I initially became interested in him. Uh, but uh, Carl Jung uh, was a Swiss uh, psychologist in the 20th century. Um, he was uh, sort of like, you know, he, he was sort of like the person who came after Freud in a way. Um, they did actually know each other personally and uh, worked together for a time. And then they uh, ended up kind of splitting and going their separate ways because they disagreed about a lot of things. They came to very different conclusions, even though, uh, you know, Jung definitely had respect for a lot of the ideas that Freud brought to light, I guess, mm -hmm. the observations that he was able to make. Um, Jung ended up not being so keen on a lot of his uh, conclusions, which I can see why, for sure, because I think that Freud made a lot of really <laughs> stupid conclusions <laughs> based on based on observations that were actually pretty insightful. Um, so his claims as a result, you know, are things I don't really jive with for the most part. And so I don't want to, I want to get that out there too, is like, I'm definitely not a Freudian or even a Jungian really. Um, but, you know, he, he just kind of like brought up some ideas like the ego, for instance, uh, that people weren't really talking about in that way before. And then Jung kind of, uh, started also uh, becoming interested in those, in, in mapping the psyche uh, in certain ways, uh, but he was way more interested in, in, in this spiritual, mystical stuff, in archetypes, in uh, personality, and if you don't know this, uh, the Myers-Briggs type indicator test is, you know, just kind of based on and borrowed from Jung and a lot of a lot of the content that you'll find in his book, Psychological Types, uh, where he talks about cognitive functions. And the, the reason I got interested in Jung originally, what originally brought me to him and was why I was like, I'm gonna start reading Jung because if you ever try to just start reading Jung on a whim, it's probably not gonna work because you're like, gonna I don't be like, oh to my any God, of this, <laughs> this yeah. is so dense. I'm trudging through this. I mean, it's like another run-on sentences where you're like, like if you don't you have know, a personal the interest in it, it's going to be very dry to you. Yeah, for sure. So, um, the the whole reason I actually even wanted to do something like read psychological types at all is, you know, because I got into psychedelics and I start I started becoming aware of what I now know are cognitive functions. It was like. I, I, I could see these patterns and observe them and I, in, a, in a much more, uh, not really tangible way, but a way that, that stuck out to me. It was like, I've always been observing cognitive functions and uh, experiencing how to use them, but I didn't, I didn't really like uh, have, a, have a framework for them until uh, finding finding Jung, Jungian uh, writings like like about uh, cognitive functions. So, for instance, a cognitive function would be like I'll just bring up like uh, introverted sensation. For instance, is an example of a cognitive function, and that one refers to uh, you know things that 
have to do with like memory, for instance. It's an internal experience of sensation. So like when you when you smell something and you're like, oh, that smells like Thanksgiving dinner or something like that, that's like a an experience of introverted sensation because you are comparing that sensation to a time you've experienced that sensation in the past. Or like when you're uh, when 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 people say that like, oh, coffee just tastes like coffee to me, no matter what it is or whatever, uh, that would be an example of introverted sensation as opposed to extroverted sensation because they're just when they're drinking a cup of coffee, they're they're tasting what their idea of that sensation is, their memory of of what coffee is, what it tastes like to them. Whereas if you're doing something like, you know, uh, doing a cupping of a coffee and you're trying to identify flavor notes, you're trying to tune into your uh, extroverted sensation a little bit and experience what is concretely happening in the moment with that sensation rather than your internal experience Mm -hmm. or memory of that sensation. So that's just, you know, that's obviously kind of, for people who are new to this concept, probably a little bit hard to understand might seem a little esoteric but it's basically like you have you have your own existence and you have to respond to your existence and you do that with cognitive functions that are feeling thinking Mm -hmm. sensation or intuition and uh, those can all have orientations introversion or extroversion um, so that that was how he defined cognitive functions, and that concept is what drew me to Jung. Because when I uh, did psychedelics, I wanted to know the names for those things, or actually, I didn't even know that they were previously identified. I think, and after some, you know, just you know, when you have like a million tabs open, you're like doing all these Google searches, and <laughs> you know, when you're chasing the dragon or whatever, I right. chase the dragon. To find yeah. Joan, I guess. Often you to we figure run into out someone who's already chasing were, the dragon, uh, and then because, you're like, oh, like, I'm jumping at you. Right. Well, and what was really weird is when I first did, it was like no one was interested in this stuff. And I feel like it's only five years later, mm-hmm. and I've found so many people who, who are interested in, uh, you know, cognitive functions and, uh, archetypes and stuff like that so it's becoming more popular and more prevalent and sort of trending right now but when I first became interested in this it was like I felt a little crazy because right you know I was like well Jung knows what I'm talking Mm -hmm. about but nobody that I'm just having conversations with knows what I'm talking about and so I would end up just kind of explaining it a lot of the time which is sort of an awkward Mm -hmm. position to be in sometimes I wanted some feedback for sure. So it's cool that it's gotten more popular and I've been been able to mm-hmm. talk to more people like you, for instance, uh, that can kind of yeah, finding you know, other get people into who it like I can. are um, interested in this stuff is so uh, affirming, but also necessary. And I think that like that can also be a thing that prevents you from just like going into yourself about it and like completely ignoring reality. Um, not that that is what you were doing, of course, but I think that like, um, you know, just to me, it's important to have a group of people to discuss this with and like, um, right. 
and yeah. to not just force yeah and we can talk about that too in around yeah um the idea of like trying to force these concepts on people who are not interested or ready to explore them um yeah i mean i think right. that well i mean we don't need to talk about it that much but just to summarize mm-hmm. it's like you know that's kind of part of why we're making this anyway right. it's just so it's like if people want to listen yeah and, you know um talk about these things discuss right. these things and they can right. but we don't need to just blather on to this about any any person who yeah who happens and when to i was younger i certainly had my share of experiences being like um you know i totally fell into that trap as a teenager of like feeling like i was more enlightened or whatever than other people because i did in philosophy so like i definitely right. a couple times would try to like offer advice to people thinking that more sage than them and that's just like not mm-hmm. a cool way of going about existence like like it's not anyone's job to definitely like lead <laughs> anyone else to water like you don't know like you don't even know if that's what they necessarily need so that's just my two cents is like if right. anyone out there is listening, especially if you're just getting into this stuff, like, I know that there will be a point in your study where you're like, oh my God, like everyone in the world needs to know about this. Like humanity could be amazing if we all just studied the Enneagram or whatever. Um, yeah, like, chill right. out. Don't get like, too preachy not and don't think it's like the solution right. to everything. Like, it's super fun and, and also like an awesome tool, I think. You know, any of these things can be amazing for self-growth and spiritual growth, but just be chill about it. You know, like, please don't, like, try to diagnose your friend. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Be be the water. That's my word of, my word of warning. Um, I was going to say, as far as, like, a group to study <laughs> yeah, with, like, absolutely. Buddhists have this idea of a sangha, which is just, like, I guess a spiritual study group, you know, depending on what sect of Buddhism you're interested in. It could be just people that meditate together. Sometimes a Sangha also will like, is kind of like a Bible study or a book group where like they, they're reading passages from holy texts and then discussing them or meditating on them in a group. And I think that concept is like really important for any subject that you're studying, but especially spiritual and um, like metaphysical subjects. Like it's a really great way to having it, having like a group of people to study with is a really great way to integrate that stuff into your life and make sure it isn't just like a hobby. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I definitely like that that mm-hmm. concept. I'm I'm going back to Buddhism a lot lately, so I like that you brought that up. Uh, and I will also add that I was aware of um, mm-hmm. Young before because I was a psych student. So yeah. um, it wasn't completely random that I became interested in cognitive functions, but it was kind of interesting how I sort of worked backwards uh, to find it. It wasn't like I found out about Young started reading his stuff then learned about cognitive functions it's like i became interested in cognitive functions which mm-hmm. brought me to to young which brought me to all this other stuff to do with you know the the unconscious the collective unconscious archetypes you know all the all the kind of mm-hmm. um, stuff we've been constellating around in this conversation mm-hmm. um so the my my last question for you dana 
uh, as we kind of wrap this up is... Oh my god, how did we become uh, friends? How did we become well, friends? we went to the same college, but we didn't really know each other at the time. Um, and I think my partner found your cell phone in a bathroom? Is or you found Jen's phone, okay? Actually, I couldn't I remember which was which, Jen's but... Phone. The funny yeah. thing about that is I already knew who you were because I had seen you around campus and we had the same hairstyle at different times. Like the way you were wearing your hair was, it was a very specific hairstyle very, very that included a bright color <laughs> and an unusual shave. And um, I had had exactly that same hair like a year earlier. And so, as mine was blue, I had like, yeah, like mine was in exactly the same style. And like whenever blue, I would see yeah. you around campus, I would just be like, oh, that's funny. That person has exactly the same hair as me. But we never actually like talked about it. Like I didn't actually approach you ever. And well, and I, what's funny is I, I know that the first time we really got to talking is that, like, you were like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, I immediately identified you as a four with a five wing. And at the yeah. time, that blew my mind because I was like, how can you just, like, look at someone and no, I was sure. <laughs> feel pretty <laughs> sure about that, you know? But now I totally get it, yeah. Which, if, if anyone listening knows anything about Enneagram or is interested, uh, for the five wing yeah. is just an Enneagram type and data. So yeah, maybe more context. This actually very much type, like wraps so. into the question of how we met, I guess. Also, so so that was like how we actually mm-hmm. made friends and like exchanged phone numbers. But um, sometime after that, on social media, you had asked a question about if anyone was familiar with Enneagram and. Um, part of my personal history is that I've been studying Enneagram since I was a teenager. Um, I had my, my minister at church, actually, um, we had a pretty close relationship and he invited me to take these classes he was teaching was about the Enneagram. And at the time it was very much, you know, now Enneagram's blowing up, like everyone knows about it. But at the time, it was not a really well-known topic. And um, so I just kind of went into these classes blindly that he was teaching and um, ended up getting super, super interested in it. So I've been kind of immersed in Enneagram stuff since I was like 14. And so obviously, yeah. Just so crazy for me to right. think about because I didn't and get into this. Also stuff until crazy I was that like, like I started 20s, out so. by literally like taking classes. You know, like I was I wasn't like just reading stuff on Wikipedia. Like I mm-hmm. like was I was taking like a class that I paid for that had homework. Like you know. Yeah. Right. Well, and that's what I thought was crazy when, because I, I, I remember one of our earlier interactions after the whole thing where I found Jen's phone, which was hilarious, by the way, because I found the phone and I was like, oh, um, I don't know whose phone this is. So I guess to figure that out, I will just, you know, you can, you can't unlock it or anything because it's like an iPhone. So I just like used oh Siri God, and I yeah. was like, um, call mom to see, because I would be like, because I was right. thinking, I was like, that I just cracks me up. I don't think I'd ever think of doing this? that. Because that's something that. So, so that was what I thought to do, but 
what I didn't think of was that yeah, like she uh, did, does not really mom is speak, Cuban yeah. <laughs> and right. was speaking Spanish, which I don't know very well. Uh, so it was just hilarious because that right. just totally and backfired. Then I was like, I came up with Spanish, this we like, what now? find out who this is and then it didn't work. <laughs> Yeah. And then and then you kept calling the phone and then I was able to pick it up. So it's just I feel I still feel like that was such a yeah. funny little I mean, we were kind of bound to 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 meet each other, to bump into each other at one point, uh-huh. you know, going to well, we, we went to a big classes, school, but, you know, uh, and just kind of being in, in the same circles or whatever. Right. But that just seems like such a serendipitous thing that happened. And it was like you were literally yeah. calling me on the phone before I knew who you were <laughs> so uh so yeah I was getting a call from Dana and so I was like well this person probably knows who whose right. phone this is and it was very much like a meet that cute. was how like I you're ended totally up returning it but yeah that was funny was... yeah yeah <laughs> so yeah that's how we met and then um it totally was and Kaylee was like does anybody know anything about the Enneagram I was like well let me take you under my wing Yeah, you com- you commented on my, like, I posted something on Facebook, like, hey, I'm just now getting into Enneagram. Does anyone know anything about this? Because mm-hmm. I was still having trouble, like I said, finding anyone who was interested in these things, even though I knew there had to be people who were very interested in them. And <laughs> yeah. it was funny because you commented on, well, like, I studied the blade and, blah, like, yeah. <laughs> you know, your, your comment on I, um, it was like... I, I also have, like, gone through many like, phases. Whoa. I'm sure this will come up again at some point, but, like, I've gone through many phases in my study with Enneagram specifically, because like I said, when I started, it was not like as well known at all as what it is now. And it definitely was not like available in corporate circles, like how it is like now you can, like if you're working in certain office environments, it's not that strange to like have a team building exercise where everybody takes an Enneagram test. Right. Yeah. And the sad part is that's how a lot of people and try to connect. That was with like me not a it. thing when I started really doing Enneagram stuff. Yeah. Like it like it was a very serious kind of study that you did where you like read a lot of material, you meditated a lot, you spent time in like essentially what was Sangha, and you like you know, you tried to use this kind of uh you tried to use it for spiritual um right exactly so i like definitely went through a lot of phases with my enneagram study where i like i think did feel like a sense of like grandeur or even um like pretentiousness as i was like learning this stuff because it felt very like i mean so I'm a four. We'll we'll get to that more later, I think. But like I have always been really interested in fantasy and like thought of uh like high concepts and esotericism to be really like the like those concepts have always been really um attractive to me. So while I was like learning this highly esoteric um study, like obviously I was I felt very like my ego was very stroked by that in a way and so um I really had to do a lot of like it took me a long time to be like this is 
this doesn't make you special. Like, you're not like, like, you don't know more than. Right, totally. Yeah, the and hardest lesson to learn as a four. <laughs> right, and so that's why I did the disclaimer you're not thing about really like, that special. please don't like go to all your friends and try to fix them or whatever. Like, this stuff is all really useful and does have yeah. a lot of very like important applications for trying to treat other humans in a better way, like trying to be a better member of society. But also, like, this is not the only way to do it. You know, like, you like learning about all these esoteric concepts is not like gonna save you or make you better or whatever right, right. but what i will say is like egoism is kind of the first step uh in a way like you know people identify with their types when they first learn about them and stuff and that's just kind of how it goes you know so like it is sort of an awkward phase that happens along this path but um also if you if you do go through that phase where you're just like oh my gosh my mm -hmm. type makes so much sense this explains so much about my life or whatever uh and you're identifying with it a lot when you first learn about it that's pretty normal and and just part mm -hmm. of the whole learning process and then you learn about all the other types and how everything else connects whether that's an enneagram or whether it's your uh union type or whatever it is um it, once you learn your type it's like the first step is identifying with it and it takes a lot of other work right. to get to the point of actually not having to identify mm -hmm. it and not being trapped in the confines of your own type so i i think although i would mm -hmm. like to caution against getting you know too deep and <laughs> in, in, into the egoism and stuff into thinking that you found the answer and all of that um also just acknowledging that if you do yeah feel it's totally a step on the journey else. it's not like you know it's that's not just like that's step not one. normal or not good like and i never like i think um we would like to invite anyone who listens to this to like kind of put away your concept of like what is what is like the right way to work with these concepts right like um obviously some of us are more prone to thinking of what we should or shouldn't do or the right or the wrong way to study but like you know just put that away for a minute you're like in a sandbox like you're in our treehouse yeah right yeah, you're just playing around with these things. It's just, it's, it's, you know, all, all at your fingertips to, um, to learn more yourself, to study it yourself, and to mm -hmm. come to your own conclusions and and go beyond those conclusions, for sure. And uh, yeah, I, I will. What I will say though is, I think that when it comes to type and when it mm -hmm. comes to archetypes and stuff like that oral tradition is a huge part of it that is that is maybe one of the only things i'll say about it is that reading about this stuff mm -hmm. is not quite as effective as really hearing people talk about it which is part of why i think this medium is really good for talking about this kind of stuff because it's mm -hmm. it's part of what what helps it to really click and sink in i think if you're just reading a book about enneagram or something it's not nearly as effective as when you hear richard or talk about Enneagram, for instance, you know, when you hear someone who really ha has had an interest in this and has kind of, you know, circled around it a few times, um, passing that along through storytelling and through or oral tradition, I think that's what really 
cause like allows for that spiritual communion whereas like just kind of reading up information researching taking tests that kind of thing is is not Mm -hmm. quite as effective even though you can learn from that as well and yeah having a having an oral narrative tradition i think is just in general always the best way to go like apart from just listening to this podcast if you find that there's already a group of people who are studying like um for example i happen to know that there is a group of people who study Gurdjieff, who's like an early originator of the Enneagram. Yeah. Oh, and Gurdjieff, Gurdjieff comes up in whatever I, I yeah. listen to. It seems like someone talks, mentions his name. Like I'm, I'm, you know, I told you I'm listening to uh, Here and Now, the podcast that's like recordings of lectures mm-hmm. or st- storytelling or oral tradition, whatever you want to call it of Rondas. Yes, uh, yeah, I mean, he, he was, he um, about, I think, I think Georgian, he calls him Georgian, so I have no idea but, you how know. you're really supposed to pronounce his name. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, he's like a grandfather of all of this stuff. Right. So he's up at any time, and, you know, um, to be mm-hmm. a student of his is to embark on a very psychedelic journey, for lack of other words. Um, but just as an example, like, there is already a group of people who study him, and they they have in-person meetings when there's not a pandemic happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just like they're like right. uh, the, yeah. the Union Institute. So it's always worth your time, Chicago I think, to or like seek out a, um, like a seminar or to try to go to some of those meetings. Right. Just, yeah, just remember those people right. don't have all yeah. the answers. That and does exist. Don't get into any culty That's stuff. That's a real thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's for sure. I mean, if you get into some kind of position where you're talking about uh, spiritual stuff, but there's not really room to ask questions yeah. or to, um, right. you like know, question the authority of a is always figure really or something, like, flag, like get when out someone of there, is like the grand of the clan or whatever it's like oh this sounds like right. a different kind of clan <laughs> yeah right <laughs> yeah avoid clans avoid cults yeah we're not really into that stuff that was the occult is pretty cool but uh, topic of more discussion <laughs> in the future but don't the join occult. a cult <laughs> yeah uh-huh. yeah I would love to have an episode about cults or something yes for sure uh yeah, cool. Well, let's let's kind of wrap this um, up. Uh, I do, do you have, have another question, have but if you feel like it's too big, we can leave it for another time. To mention. Talk to me about if you believe okay. in astrology or the tarot or um, any of these like divination systems. The way that question is phrased, I'm glad you I'm mm-hmm. glad you asked that question that way because that's how so many people ask it, right? But I have a kind of inherent problem with that question because saying you believe in something is to me sort of uh it's 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 a very it traps you. Like it's it's something that, you know, means that you kind of are uh, tethered to this concept or, you know, that that you subscribe to it in a certain way. And that's definitely not what I think that things like 
uh, tarot or astrology or anything are useful tools to do is to just subscribe to it and just mm-hmm. say, okay, well, I'm just doing everything according to this framework. Um, so in that way, I don't believe in any of those things. Uh, but, you know, I do believe that they, they are a good mirror to go back to what I was saying before about what archetypal images are and what they can do for us is they allow us a place to project that isn't um, the, the places that we often project that kind of cause some problems because projection is not something that we can really avoid as humans. It's something we do. It's not inherently negative. Like you hear it a lot in, um, you know, modern conversation as this negative thing, like, oh, so-and-so is just projecting, uh, you know, their insecurities or something like that. Um, not that that's not an accurate way to use that term, but, um, projection is something that is normal for humans to do. Uh, but when we project, for instance, our securities onto another person, Mm -hmm. that becomes problematic, but it's something natural for us to do. Right. So if we can, if we can instead direct that, that, um, impulse to project onto an archetypal image, like a tarot card or an astrological sign, for instance, it allows us to separate from that concept and to pull it away from ourselves and, uh, the people we know and to create Mm -hmm. some distance so you can get a better, better picture. So you can kind of see it better. It's sort of like when when you're looking at a painting and you're standing really, really close to it, you can see all the mm-hmm. fine brush strokes and whatever, but you can't even see the full painting. But if you step back, or like if you're working on a painting, especially it's like that, you have to keep stepping back to get, you know, the, the image, uh, the full image, and to have a better idea of the full picture. And I think that, that things like tarot or astrology or other frameworks like maybe even Enneagram or type give us something to Mm -hmm. give us a framework to project onto like a mirror um, so that we can get a better look at ourselves mostly that's mostly what it's going to tell you about a lot of times people get into tarot uh, or astrology because they want to they want to know the dirt on someone else (laughs) in a way uh, something that's really funny, I inherited my grandpa's tarot deck. He gave it to me, which is really sweet because he, he was very like superstitious around it and stuff too. But uh, he, he told me that part of why he stopped using it, because he used to use it a lot, you can tell it's like a well-used deck, um, is because he got really into oh my God. <laughs> doing yeah. readings to ask questions about his ex-wife uh-huh. and not like not like with any kind of like malicious intent or anything but he got a big kick out of it because he would do readings and since he was a pretty intuitive person and stuff he would do readings and then he would you know talk to her later and she she would literally be like do you have someone who's spying on me like are you like she because Mm -hmm. he was so able to like like tune into his intuition uh he was able to kind of like make these guesses or whatever uh you know, to intuit uh, certain things about what was going on with her, mm-hmm. and and he he was always like in love with her too. Like they they divorced, but you know he he had a soft spot for her. Mm-hmm. 
always and so that was part of why he probably so- wanted to do that too but it was really funny because she got really suspicious of him and stuff and um yeah I think that was when he was like okay this is gone like this was fun but it's going a little too far uh but for instance you could use it to do something like that but I don't think that's very uh <laughs> like I wouldn't recommend like the story is really funny uh, that he told me about it and I wish that you could hear him telling that story uh, but you know that would be an example of how right. I think you actually should avoid uh, using astrology or tarot to to try to spy on other people like that or to, to make sense of other people in that way really all right. that that stuff is going to tell you is your own feelings and your own intuition about it so just keep that in mind always and that that's really uh, that's the way I believe in those things is that I believe they are good tools to use uh-huh. to have a mirror or to have a painting or to have you know something that you're looking at an image uh-huh. um, that is that is separate from yourself and uh-huh. your the people cool. in your life and your relationships yeah that kind of thing. that's great That's a good. That's a good cool. place. Well, to end, I guess I think. we'll we'll go ahead and end this uh, since we're it's been been a while. So, uh, yeah, this was a good start. Uh, we're looking forward to talking about more stuff, more weird, crazy stuff, climbing into the treehouse, and and putting some decorations in our treehouse and making some art in our treehouse and whatever we want to do with it. So. Uh, this podcast is a brand new treehouse that we just constructed. Mm-hmm. Um, so really, we just have the, the floorboards and the ladder to go up it or whatever. But as we continue, love it. It'll it'll be a, a I lot more cozy. Excited to keep fleshing it out and excited to see sweet where next week takes us. Me too. Yeah. Well, I'm going to get going, but it's it's always good to talk to you, Dana. We're always on such a similar wavelength, yeah. and I love that modern technology okay. um, allows I'm us to do also this kind sign of thing. Up now. So, have a good rest of your day. Bye.